0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to John chapter 4. We're just going to read a couple verses um, as we begin the Mill Sunday School. So John chapter 4, and uh, we put Bibles on the table so you could actually turn to the Scripture itself. Uh, We're in the habit of, of encouraging you to do that. To turn to the Bible and look at your own text. So, everybody, turn to John four. If you're there, hold up your Bible or iPod. Or oh, sweet, Candace is there. Sweet, Amanda's there. Is that it? Okay. So uh, some other people got it on their on their iPhones. It it does always seem like the the people with the actual physical paper Bible are quicker to turn to passages than the iPhone and other app people. I don't know. Maybe it's just old school thing. So turn to John 4. Uh, We're just going to read two verses, but this is a very famous passage where Jesus is talking to a woman. It's the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman, and they're having this conversation about worshipers. And I have always seen this passage as as a really cool encouragement of what true worshipers are to look like. And Jesus says, two things about them, that they will worship the Father in spirit. And in truth and i 've been encouraged that that those two things one is the, the to worship God with your spirit and, and to worship the spirit is to be passionate about God and, and to worship God in truth would be to bring the correct thoughts like theology and who God is and worship God in a correct way and who and the correct God um, that is the creator of the world and so these two passages uh, these two verses excuse me it says this uh, verse twenty three says these, so these are the words of jesus He's says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Did you hear that? So that's, what, what does the Father seek? Worshippers who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That's, that's beautiful. And then verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we, we tell you that our, our hearts are open, our minds are open to you to, to receive what you have for us today. And God, as we're reminded that, that we are, are to worship you in, in spirit and in truth, God, would you encourage us to do that today? Show us what that is like. God, if, if, um, if there's an aspect of our spirit or an aspect of truth that we're not fully bringing to you, would you convict us on that? Would you show us and guide us to worship you with, with spirit and in truth? And so we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed, amen. amen. All right, thank you. Um, so uh, we're talking about theology, and I want to tell you a story. And it has to do with theology, although it's kind of a, a, ra- a roundabout way of getting there. But it involves me, and it involves uh, me when in my college days. I was uh, a, doing a major in biology and education. I wanted to be a high school biology teacher. And my senior year came around... And um, here, here's a picture of me. I think I've shown this before. It's pretty disturbing. Um, now, you have to realize, I, didn't, I wasn't married at this time. I didn't have a girlfriend at this time. I just didn't know. My friends um, told me I looked like Moses, and I thought they were complimenting me. I was like, oh, sweet, yeah, cool. But it turns out they weren't. I, I, I just... I uh, was struggling back then. Um, it's I have a wife now, and things were better. So, anyways, uh, so my senior year of college, I re- I did my uh, what's it called a student teacher thing, and I found out I really didn't like teaching high school biology. I liked part of it, loved part of it, but the part where you had to discipline the students who really didn't want to be there, and like they, they ask you if they can go to the bathroom, and the hall passes, and they yell at you, and they don't want to be there. I, just, I just hated that part. I hated being mean, the mean guy, and there was a lot of that I had to deal with, uh, with as being a student teacher. So um, when I graduated uh, school, I was like, well, now what? Because I've gone to school for something that I, I, I kind of figured I, I don't really want to do. I don't love to do that. I, was, I could do that, but I didn't want to do that. And so I decided, well, why not go keep going to school? And so that's what I did. Uh, I went to seminary with this idea. So that, that's me graduating. Uh, so I graduated. Then I went to Fuller Theological Seminary and decided I'm going to study the Bible, study uh, God, and um, had these ideas that I don't know what I want to do, but I know I don't want to be a high school biology teacher, and I know that... uh, that's not what I want to do. And I do like studying the Bible and I was leading a Bible study at the time and I, I liked doing that. So I thought I'll go to seminary and I did not at the time have thoughts of like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor someday. That idea was, was scary to me. That idea was like, I don't have any confidence to be a pastor. Like what if someone asks me to um, do a wedding or a funeral or um, I, I just don't know how to do those things. and so, um, and, and so that was scary to me. But um, I had this class, and so everything kind of changed when I had this class called Systematic uh, Theology. And in in Fuller Seminary, and I had this professor that um, looked just like the Monopoly man if he was wearing a top hat. I, I, my my oh, my laptop thing is kind of struggling. I have this really sweet picture of him. Um, he looks really cool. But he was from Seattle, and he really liked coffee. And uh, he would always joke. He would say this sentence. He would say. Um, Any legal form of caffeine is allowed in this classroom, and he's laugh hysterically, and we all kind of like look at him, like, is he smoking it or what in the world? Um, So we we thought that that was really weird, but um, there he is. That's uh, Scalise, Um, and so um, I I had a class with him. It's called systematic theology, and um, it was it was a good class. You are listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. I'm struggling because my, my phone thing is struggling and I'm, my notes are on here, so I'm struggling. But anyways, um, it, the, the class, I tell the whole story to say that the class opened my eyes to studying theology. And as I studied theology, I, I realized um, this, this foundation for understanding who God is and his ways and the Christian um, doctrines. And I realized that for me, it was like this one semester course, Systematic Theology with, with uh, Dr. Scalise. I, I realized that um, I I could be a pastor I could I, I didn't know the answers to everything but I could I had this framework and this understanding for for being a pastor I had like ministry confidence after taking systematic theology and so that is, fast forward to I went to the King's College for my doctorate and I I did this this is my dissertation it's very boring you don't want to read it I'll give you another book assignment to read if you want to read something um, but. It's 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 really sweet. Uh, it's actually not that sweet, but it was fun doing this project. I say uh, that I did this project because it's called the measurement of the value of systematic theology um, in perception of confidence in pastoral ministry situations. <gasps> It's a very long title, and it, I did this project where I wanted to test this value of systematic theology for pastoral ministry situations. So what I did was I tested a bunch of um, students that were, wanted to be pastors. I taught them systematic theology and then kind of tested their perception of confidence to do ministry and, their, and, and live out their calling if they, if they were called to be a pastor. Like, were they more confident or, or um, how did that work, uh, less confident after taking systematic theology, and I found like I did in in seminary that theology prepares you for ministry and so I say that to all of us to say that uh, what we 're going to be studying here at the Mill Sunday School for quite a few uh, days ahead of us i 'll explain that in a minute is um, that we are going to be talking about systematic theology, and I, it's not just this brainy stuff that you do in libraries, but we're going to go uh, and talk about systematic theology as a primer for ministry so that you can be prepared um, to live out your Christian life and be uh, a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, let's see. I think I got this working now. Um, yeah, kind of. It's it's flipping around a little bit. Um, so, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of scattered. Can you tell that I'm scattered? Turn to your neighbor and say, he doesn't seem scattered at all. I think I, I do seem scattered. Anyways, um, so if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we have these uh, cool little uh, cards on your table. You could fill one of those out and bring it to the nice people as you leave. Uh, there, I think we have some CDs. We, we might be out, and so I apologize. You can get it. Uh, hopefully, we'll have them next week. Um, but we would love to have your email. I'll email you once. I won't email you every second. I won't, we won't abuse your email. We'll tell you more about the Mill on a Friday night, which is our main ministry of the Mill. It's more of our, we do worship and a service. Uh, The Mill Sunday School is more of a teaching. And so so welcome to the Mill Sunday School if you're new. We're glad that you're here. And as far as announcements go, there's no... Mill, I know, there's no Mill Sunday School next week. And it's, ooh, oh, there's no Mill Sunday School. I know you'll be sad, but we have to cancel it for our annual leadership retreat, which is something we do every year. Um, And so we, as the Mill leadership team, the people that, I mean, the coffee doesn't make itself. There's not Oompa Loompas uh, running around, setting up tables, and it's it's Mill Sunday School leaders who do that. And so we're giving them the day off. We're going to go camping and, and pray and have a campfire and do worship and it'll be a really cool, um, time. And so we have to cancel it to do that because of our leaders and our leaders deserve a week off. And so if you're a leader, would you mind standing up so we could see you? Chris and Rose, Rebecca, this is Dan Jordan, uh, Chris Cordero. He's in a wheelchair. He can't stand up, but he's a leader. Um, Tim is a leader, uh, all these guys up here. So let's thank them for being mill leaders. Thanks guys. Um, we appreciate you. We, we could not do the Mill Sunday School or the Mill on a Friday night without you, and so uh, we're going to have a leadership retreat next weekend. So there'll be signs. I, I know some of you will end up coming anyways. So set, set like a little alarm in your phone or something so you don't uh, come here and, and be embarrassed with the other people that are here, like, why isn't there Sunday School? Um, oh, I think we'll put signs on the door saying no Sunday School. It'd be fun not to, though, and just have you come in, like, where's the coffee? <laughs> Anyways, um, so we'll work on that. Uh, What else is there? Okay, discussion question give you a chance to talk for me a chance to gather my thoughts um, but get into groups um, if you're at a smaller table jump right invite yourself to go sit at a bigger table uh, the more the merrier um, I have a discussion question for you that that will I'll, I'll then go around and get some ideas with this microphone but it's this question why is uh, theology often seen as a negative thing in Christian circles it's a little cut off obviously but why is theology often seen as a negative thing in Christian circles. And I've been around New Life and other Christian circles to know that and sometimes people are just kind of negative about theology. And so why is that? Uh, why is that sometimes the case? Ready, get set, get into a bigger group and discuss. Go! Okay, I would love to have uh, a few of you just share some brief ideas. I have a microphone here. I will come all the way back to Emily. Um, and just your, what maybe what your table talked about or... Um, yeah. What are so, why is theology sometimes seen as negative? Emily?
1: What I encountered was when I was just asking some questions about scripture and theology, this person received it as an attack because I was asking them for answers. And because they didn't have those answers, they got very defensive. And with that, it, their response was almost like, well, you just don't have enough faith because you're questioning this. So, and you're questioning my faith. And I'm now questioning my faith because I don't have those answers to give you. And so I'm just mad at you. So we're obviously not going to talk about this any further. Sounds like
0: a really fun person to talk to.
1: (laughs) Well, let's just say it was evident that, okay, we're not going to go there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this idea of like faith versus studying theology. Aaron Higgins, thanks for sharing.
1: Okay, we kind of covered several points, but... I think it's actually multiple things to this. There's this perception that it's stuffed shirts. It's people that don't really care about the relationship, rather the technicalities uh, involved with the function of it. It's, you know, a car mechanic doesn't care necessarily how fast the car drives, just how it works. Uh, So that's, I think, the perception of a theologian or someone who studies theology is they're more interested in on how the... Uh, religion works versus the relationship that it comes from. Where I think, so like that, all
0: mind, no heart, kind right, of thing. Right, yeah.
1: And I, I also think too that uh, it, in some ways, it's going off the thing, thing, of faith, and people get challenged by when they don't have an answer, and they go, "Well, it's just faith." And then uh, when, when there is a technical answer, people get scared of it. It's almost like math. You know, people get Proud Scared of the fact of that they don't know math, they, they'll brag about it. Oh, I was never really good at math. Ha, ha, ha. And, and kind of the same way with, with theology. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, gee, I'm, I believe in Jesus, and that, that should be good enough.
0: Right. I don't need to study and it. Either. And
1: it's challenging and scary to go, well, gee, I have, you know, a 26-volume text here on the book of, of uh, Mark, yeah, and I have to read that to understand my faith. I think people are trying to...
0: Yeah, so it could be seen as something that's too big to even begin to do. Anybody else? Yes, Jordan. And then uh, I have some ideas of my own. These are great.
2: Um, Some of the resistance to theology that our group has encountered is like, the argument is, why would you try and put God in a box? Yeah. Like, why are you trying to understand how he works or how religion, like, works itself out in humanity and stuff like that? Yeah. And we kind of, like, we kind of came back with the point, like, Adam and Eve were in the garden, like, so God could share himself with them. And so that, like, there was this fundamental understanding of how God works and, like, who he is. Um, And, like, we've kind of lost that because of sin. And so it's just kind of, like, to that argument, we're like, oh you know, um, I think it's, like, it's valuable and it's noble to pursue, like, knowledge of God um, rather than, you know, just, like, Let's get rid of theology. Let's take it off the table because God's infinite, there's no way that our yeah. you know finite minds can understand him. Yeah. And then we labeled it it's kind of like the politics of religion. People just like it's just it's room for debate and separation and it creates all of the yeah. different sects of Christianity and right. whatever and so people just kind of ignore it.
0: Yeah. So it's this this thing that's too big to, 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 if people feel like, oh, it's too big to even start. So why start this journey if, if there's no end goal in sight? God is too big to study. Yeah. I have a, a picture of, of the perception that a lot of people have of a theologian. And this guy is actually a theologian. If you recognize him, I'll be really impressed. Um, anybody recognize him? it's not C.S. Lewis, although he kind of looks a little like, so anybody recognize Carl? Bart, um, very famous theologian. But this is the perception people have of a theologian, someone that's old, an old guy, glasses, in a library, with a pen, boring, um, no heart, all mind, just academia. And, and, the, and people, so people have this perception that, oh, theology is a bad thing because it's, um, I think like Higgins said, it's, it's worshiping God with just your mind and no heart. And it's going in that direction where you don't have passion But to to refer back to the scripture we read originally, I I would say that, you know, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. And to ignore theology, I think in some ways would be ignoring the truth element of how God wants his worshipers to worship him. So um, everyone is a theologian is kind of this next point. If you're taking notes, we we have notes uh, that we hand out as you come in. The second point here is everyone is a theologian. I'm going to kind of come back to this idea of why people think theology is negative. But if you have this idea that everyone is a theologian, and it's this idea that's in a book, it's the first chapter uh, of this book, It's it's the title of the first chapter of this particular book, which is a book called Who Needs Theology? An Invitation to Study God by Stanley Grins and Roger Olson And if you want a reading assignment, I would assign you this book. If you're at all interested in like beginning the journey of studying theology, this is where one of my journeys began uh, going back to that class that I took with uh, the the guy from Seattle that drank a lot of coffee. Um, He assigned this book as the first book to read. And it's it's just this primer for understanding who needs theology. It's kind of a rhetorical question, everyone. Because he begins this book with this idea that everyone is a theologian. You're like, well, wait a minute, not everyone's a theologian theologian? What about atheists or people that don't believe or people that don't even want to be a theologian? And he makes this argument. I think he makes it very well. He says everyone is a theologian because everyone has thoughts about their creator, who God is. Um, and, And even if you're an atheist, you have a lot of thoughts about God, mainly that he does not exist if you're an atheist, but you're still thinking about God. And so everyone under this broad definition of theology is a theologian. And so if everyone is a theologian, then he, he breaks it down. There's really just types of theologians. There's good theologians and bad theologians. There's folk. He calls it uh, defining theologians, folk theologians. He calls them um, all these different types of, of theologians. Mainly it comes down to either good theologians or bad theologians. And um and so that that's that's a great book. If you want to read, if you buy this book, uh, I think you could read like the first, almost the first chapter on books.google.com for free, or you can buy the electronic version. If you if you start this book, um, and there's the title up there and the authors, you can find it pretty easily and buy it or, or get it somehow, rent it from the library. Does anybody go to the library anymore? Anybody? Oh wow! Look at look around. Hold those hands. Hi, that's impressive. Um, sweet, me too. Um, I thought I was the only one, but I guess not. Anyways, you could rent things for free at the library. Surprised you didn't know that. Um, So, if you get this book, email me. You can find my email on uh, the bookmarks that are on all the tables, and we could be in dialogue about it. And if you finish it, I'll buy you an ice cream. How sweet would that be? So, Um, I imagine some of you will, and and I'll either give you a coupon for ice cream, um, or we'll we'll all go out and talk about it. That'd be really fun. So if you begin the journey of reading this book, email me. But anyways, going back to the point of why I started talking about this book, everyone is a theologian. And so it really comes down to either just good or bad theologians. I think part of that is how you begin to study theology. Like how you go about it. How should we go about studying theology? Which is one of the next points in your notes. And I think that that, uh, I think Jordan hinted on this when he was talking just about the bigness of doing theology. The bigness of studying God himself and how big of a thing that is. It's like, well, where do you start? How how do you go about it? What do you do? It's like uh, the saying. How do you eat an elephant? Well, how do you do it? One bite at a time. And thinking about that, I was like, "That this has got to be the stupidest saying in the world. And my wife and I got an, into an argu- argument about it last night, and I think she came around to understanding my point of view. But that's not, it's not how you go about Eating, this is a picture of an elephant. And, and if you, if I'm very literal, I have mental problems of literalness. Like, whenever you tell me something, I can only see the literal, I can't see the figurative. And so, um, like, the first time I heard this saying, I didn't hear it until I was a freshman in college. I was on my way. To, to school, to college. I was, I was just about pulling into the parking lot of, of my college, and uh, I, I, was, I was feeling not—I I took these vitamins. You're supposed to take the vitamin and eat, but I forgot to eat, so my stomach was just kind of in knots. I was kind of nauseous already. And I was listening to this Christian radio, and this little old lady was on the Christian radio, and she said, it's, it's just like this. It's like eating an elephant. Do you know how you eat an elephant? And I was just like, oh, I'm going to be sick. And she said, one bite at a time. And I was like, I'm going to be sick. And I opened up my door. I was like, I threw up, literally threw up in the parking lot of my college after hearing for the first time, the phrase, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And just to add to the, there was this guy walking by and he was like, and he was like, yeah, man. And I was like, what in the world? And I replayed that in my head a bunch of times. And I think he was saying Omega Delta Phi. I was like, And so he thought I was like a frat guy that was like throwing up because I'd been up drinking all night. Turns out I wasn't. I was just listening to a little old lady talk about eating an elephant and lost it. Um, So anyways, um, the worst thing in the world, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Because it's just, it's just not how you do it. You don't walk, if you walked up to the elephant or like, here's how I'm going to eat him, and you took a bite out of his leg or something, First of all, his skin is like an inch thick. It would be like eating through like six leather gloves. You can't do that. And second of all, he would just turn and spear you with his three-foot-long tusk and or just, just boot you across the, the field. Because like the largest elephant I looked up, elephants, twenty four thousand pounds. That's like nine two thousand twelve Toyota Corollas is the weight of one of the largest elephants. And and so it's that that is not how you eat an elephant. You don't say here's how you do eat an elephant. One bite at a time. No, you really have to have a plan if you're going to eat an elephant. And then I went online. And I was researching eating elephants. And I found this guy who uh, was in Africa in the '70s. He was working with. Um, National Geographic or something, and he, uh, there, there, was a, there was an elephant that destroyed a couple of villages and, and actually killed a boy, and so they, they, were, they went out to kill the elephant, and it, to, it took like two shots of this really high-powered uh, rifle thing, and uh, they killed the elephant, it took a long time for an elephant, sorry, this, this is about to be a pretty gruesome story, um, just so you know, um, and then it took 24 villagers over 20 hours to field dress it, that means take the meat off. The bones and skin and elephant. Twenty hours. So, like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time? I don't think so. You're going to need twenty-four of your friends in twenty hours just to get the meat off the bones. And then, um, and then, and then, it said like there was a thousand four hundred pounds of meat that they took, and and they were they were talking about how long this would feed them all for. And they said that they would feed a village of two hundred and forty people for one month. And so, if you do the math on that, that's one person's food for like 20 years. And so how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time? I don't think so. In 20 years, all that meat's going to be rotted. You need like a strategy of freezers to keep all that meat in. Um, and so I say all that um, to get a little serious here and talk about studying theology and this idea that we are studying God, the creator of the biggest uh, land mammal in the universe right now, or at least on Earth right now. Um, And so um, we are studying God and all his, uh, the things that we believe about him and the doctrines of all things Christian. And so if we are going to figuratively uh, eat this elephant, um, and, and by that I mean study theology. Um, it's not just, oh, walk up to it and take a bite and start eating. No, th- this is a huge thing that we are going to try to do. Um, and so we need a plan. We need a strategy. We need a, a beginning point. I mean, just where you begin studying theology says a lot about where you're going to go. Um, and so I have another discussion question for you. Um, and, and so this one will, will maybe be quicker. So try to jump right into it, although it's, it, it may take some, Take some time to get right into it. It's kind of a, um, a scenario question. But imagine you go out to lunch with a professor, and that professor is a Christian, and he has been asked to teach a course in theology. And so you are having a conversation with him, and he's just bouncing ideas off of you. And so, how would you outline a college level theology 101 class? Basically, the easier question here is just maybe where to start. So you're out to lunch with a professor. Um, and he's asking, just bouncing ideas off of you because you're uh, a Christian and you go to the Mill Sunday School. And so he has a lot of respect for you, of course. And so he's like, well, where should I start? Where should we talk about, you know, how, how should we outline this course? Where, where, where should we start? What, you know, you could start anywhere. Where should we start this Theology 101 class uh, that's a college class? Use that as a discussion point. Ready, get set. Discuss. All right, raise your hands if you said the Bible, duh. Anybody start off with the Bible? Nobody? Okay, a couple of people. Thank you. (laughs) Maybe you're embarrassed yeah, the Bible would be a great place to start. But then you, you do have a question of like, the Bible is a very big book. Um, and so where do you actually start? Do you actually start in Genesis, which would be a fine place to start? Sure. And so you start in Genesis. And then where do you go from there? Do you actually go through Genesis? Do you start reading as a college class Leviticus? Then do you go uh, Deuteronomy? Do you go to Josh's? And do you actually start If you really start with the Bible, do you actually start with the beginning and go through the list of books that we have? Do you maybe use something like a chronological Bible and and actually go through like creation and then on to uh, Adam and Eve and then Abraham and then um, do do you go through a chronological type Bible or do you um, did anybody say start with the New Testament? Anybody? Nobody? thought. Okay, one. Um, so somebody, you could start with the New Testament and say, well, if we actually start with the Bible and started in the Old Testament, then it wouldn't be till like the last one-fourth of the class that we actually got to the New Testament, which we as Christians say um, th- that that is the, the new covenant of God, and we don't throw out the Old Testament, but we do hold the New Testament as the way of salvation under the new covenant, and so that would be a great place to start. But then you're like, well, where do you, do you actually just start in Matthew and start reading? Well, so Maybe you should start with Jesus and what Jesus did anybody start with that in your conversation say, "Oh, maybe we should start with Jesus and what he said but then there 's a lot of things that jesus doesn 't cover um, Like, uh, there's plenty of topics. I wrote down a few of them. Uh, um, The debate of evolution and creation, church government. Jesus never mentions homosexuality. Jesus never mentions uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But who does? Well, Paul does. And so some of you maybe thought, well, where could we begin theology? Well, let's begin theology with maybe some of the letters of Paul, because Paul really gets into a lot of pretty heavy theology. And so um, we could do that. Um, Maybe we could uh, start off with maybe church fathers and the church traditions that have gone before for us. Um, because uh, like something, like the word, like the Trinity, that word is not in the Bible, although I would say the concept is in the Bible. And so maybe you could uh, go through the development of how the early church uh, had these creeds and be- came up with doctrines of what, here is what we believe. Um, that would be an option. The, the thing is, we, we do need some sort of system, a way of of, of going through all things Theological. Um, I, I I think that a good definition of theology would be the study of all things uh, about God and and all things, all doctrines of uh, Christianity and what we believe. So that that would be the definition of Christian theology, obviously. And so we just need, if we're going to talk about all things, all doctrines, God, we need some sort of plan and order. And structure to go about doing that, and and that, um, in some ways, you can think about it maybe as a, uh, as your tools. Um, A good anybody work on their own car. Anybody, a couple people, some girls' hands. Nice, that's impressive. I like that. Um, So if you work on your car. And if you get really good at it, and maybe uh, any mechanic that I know has, is, is completely crazy when it comes to his toolbox and having all his tools in alignment and organized and structured in a way that he or she knows exactly where they are so they could work on their car. Um, it, and so if you think about going the working on a car versus doing theology, well, in, you have to admit that theology, by definition, would be more complex because we're studying God, the creator of humans who created the car and so doing theology um, <clears throat> we, we need our toolbox and so you could think about this this order and structure of how you go about doing theology as maybe a toolbox or, or a tool chest if that's if that helps you and and so um and so what is the order um it's an order called systematic theology, which is what we are about to do in the Mill Sunday School all this month, and carry that on for quite a few months. And so, really, today's uh, lesson or lecture is really this primer for where we are going um, as the Mill Sunday School for for quite a while. And um, the order. Um, of systematic theologies. What systematics is, or dogmatics is, it's is, is often called. Uh, can, he, this guy is kind of known as the the, the church father of, of systematic theology. Doesn't he have a cool hat on? If, if anybody finds that hat, I, I would love to have that. You could buy it for me. I'll pay you back or something. Um, just kidding. Um, It's kind of a goober hat. But anyways, um, his name is Peter Lombard, and he lived in the 1100s, which is a long time ago, and so I guess they had different styles back then. Whatever. Um, That's his choice. So... Um, he lived in the 1100s. He was a professor at Notre Dame, um, which is not the Fighting Irish, but the original one in, in in Paris. And so he lived in the 1100s. Think about how long ago that is. And he wrote a book called "The Four Sentences," and um, that was he took the structure of doing theology and kind of laid it out in his uh, in his books, and that. That order, that structure, was taken all through the Middle Ages and taken even to today. So that when anyone says, "I'm studying theology," "I'm studying systematic theology," they would be using the system that this guy, Peter Lombard, came up with in the 1100s. In fact, a little-known fact is that this book is, is was more quoted in the Middle Ages. Um, it's the second most quoted book in the Middle Ages, other than the Bible itself. So during the Middle Ages, um, as, as Christianity and doctrines were were being argued and and, and the, the Reformation was going on, this guy's book was, was the most popular book other than the Bible. So that's pretty cool. Um, so the order is, I, I wonder if some of you are in here are just like screaming in your heads right now saying, what in the world is the order? Like we've talked about elephants and coffee and all kinds of weird things. Where are we going with this? What is the order of systematic theology? Turn to your neighbor and say, what is the order? Tell us. <laughs> thank you for amusing me. Well, I've already given you the order. Um, and that Did anyone notice that the, we have new Sunday school cards today? A couple people noticed. Yeah. And and these are new cards. And the, these cards on the back is the order of um, what we are going to talk about here in the Mill Sunday School for the next nine months. And so what we are going to talk about is the order of of systematic theology. And so look at it for a second. Is there just one per table? Um, so I have to share, I guess. Um, look at it. September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Nine months. And so this month is an introduction to theology. Um, and then October, we're going to talk about God. In November, we're going to talk about God's creation. <laughs> and we're going to talk about angles and demons. Because I, like a silly goose, made a spelling error. And, and so it says angels and demons. And and some of you might not know this, but uh, I think it was almost, was it five years ago? I think it was almost five, six years ago, we did a Sunday school topic on angels and demons. And so six years ago, we printed off these things. Um, and I, I spelled it wrong. Six years ago, you would think I would learn. And so six years ago, we studied angles and demons. And so in November, we will also study angles and demons. How fun will that be? Um, Anyways, uh, that's distractions aside. December, we're going to study humanity, the image of God. January, Jesus. uh, February, uh, salvation. March, the Holy Spirit and his gifts. April, church and traditions. May, the end times, heaven and hell, the afterlife. And so this order, these nine topics as it's displayed here in this way, um, is doing systematic theology. So, In nine months from now, if you decide to come to all the Sunday schools or podcast the ones you miss, you will have taken a course in systematic theology. And and undergoing this is no small thing. And so that's why, for instance, I assigned this book as a primer to the nine months uh, of study that we are going to be doing. Um, kind of get our head around the bigness of, of what we're about to undertake. And and next week I'll talk about this idea that that all of these nine topics, um I, I've I've done this uh, maybe we'll do this, that any question or topic you have in the Christian religion um can in some way go into, be organized and structured into one of these figurative drawers of systematic theology. So, if you have questions about creation, well, that would be in uh, November. We'll talk about God's creation and angles and demons. Um, If you have questions about angles, (laughs) we would talk about them. That's horrible. Anyways, um, have questions about Jesus or how salvation works, if you have questions about um, uh, anything, dinosaurs, we, we talk about that in, in November, God's creation. If you had questions about um, the afterlife and the resurrection, well, we, we talk about that in May. Any kind of question or topic or discussion point um, that you would, would want to know about um, will fall under one of these drawers, uh, under one of these months of doing systematic theology. And so, um, I encourage you, if, if you don't, if you, if you show up for all nine months worth of topics, um, what you're going to have at the end of this, um, and it is a long way, so it'll be springtime by the, by the time we get done with this order of doing systematic theology, um, you will know, you will be a theologian and a good theologian, because we've already talked about how everyone is a theologian, but you will be a great theologian. You will be someone who can answer questions. You will be someone that in in some ways, because of you know, my background and what I got out of doing systematic theology is you will be more prepared for doing ministry yourself, whether that means leading a small group or talking to someone about the hard topics of religion or, um, just having conversations with people or, or or whatever. Um, what we're about to undergo is a a huge thing. And I, as the Mill Sunday School pastor, um, I've been very excited about doing this and we've talked about doing it in years past. And there's always this kind of conversation of like, well, it is this big undertaking. Do you think Sunday school is really ready for it? And we kind of go back and forth and, and we made a decision a little while ago that I think... We're ready for it. I think there's a lot of us in here um, that are like, "Yes, give me more. I, I want some some meat, some elephant meat, um, and and to <laughs> to eat it figuratively, of course." Um, but but I think there's a lot of you in here that want to be challenged and and want assignments like reading this book and and want to go about um, undertaking something as huge as doing systematic theology. Because to be totally honest with you, um, I don 't know of any church uh, that, that, that provides this for the layperson, I think you really do have to go to Bible school or seminary to get what you're about to get uh, in, in doing um, what we 're about to do here in the mill Sunday school over the next nine months and if you're like, well I don't know I'm, I'm kind of in and out of Sunday school some, sometimes because I have other things to do or I volunteer with children's or whatever that's perfectly fine. We do podcast them so you can keep up with us, but it, because systematic theology is set up in topics, you can, say, come for the the month of December and learn about anthropology, the study of humanity, and then maybe skip uh, January, the study of Jesus. But but then catch right back on in February, and and we will be talking about salvation. So the topics are kind of uh, drawers in and of themselves, and I I mean figurative drawers, for for putting ideas and doctrines in um, as we go and undertake systematic theology. So, one last point that I have to think uh, to tell you, um, and it's I think a very big thing. And if you don't get anything out of today other than this, um, I think it's 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 very important. I think somebody said it. It was maybe Jordan. Somebody said used the phrase "God in a box," um, and um, I have a picture of God in a box, and it's ridiculous. It's a, a cartoon of God supposedly in a cardboard box, and there it this. Picture in in a way represents the ridiculousness of the idea that we could put God in a box. Um, In doing systematic theology, I think I think was was it Jordan? Did you you said God in a box? Didn't you? You said yeah. Okay. Um, In doing systematic theology, some people could accuse us of oh, so now you think you have it all figured out? You have God figured out? You have God in a box? And and to that we'd have to say no. That's that's not right. That's impossible because. Our God is infinite, and, and so there there is no box, there is no container <coughs> to put God in, figuratively, and there and there is no, we cannot wrap our mind around the full understanding of God and all the all that He is. And so anytime, this isn't my quote, I, I got it actually from the same guy who taught systematic theology, the guy that looked like the monopoly guy without the, the hat, the coffee guy. Um, he said, as soon as someone thinks that they have it all figured out, as soon as someone says, I've got it all figured out, I've, I have God in a box, well then they must be wrong because God doesn't live in a box. God is not... Um, to be contained in a box. And so anytime you think you have it all figured out that God is in a box, you don't. That is a wrong perception of who God is. And what we are, to do, what we are supposed to do as Christians is to, to live in a space where we continually open new doors and see how much bigger God is. And so that's this idea that in doing systematic theology, we may open doors that, that show us how much bigger God is and how those doors are even more bigger and, and there's more doors to open. So, I kind of conclude with that idea of we are in, in by no means in these next nine months going to say, oh, now we have it all figured out. That's just not the case. Um, that There will be new doors that we get to open and see how much bigger God really is. So, that's all I got for you today. That's where we're beginning this huge undertaking of nine months of systematic theology. Hopefully you're excited about that. Um... Um, And so let's pray. And and as we start this journey and just thank God and and worship him in spirit and truth. And so Jesus, we, we come to you in prayer and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that um, you are looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth with passion and with, with good theology and so God we, we, we undertake this 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 no small task of doing systematic theology as the mill Sunday schoolers and God would you be be glorified as we do it? Would you be the center of, of what we do and, and talk about in here? May we never talk about you as if you 're not here with us in the room. Um, God, we give you full uh, authority over the Mill Sunday School, and we praise you, and we thank you and everybody said, "Amen all right, friends, uh, we will not see you next week because the Mill Sunday School will be canceled. Write that down somewhere, and uh, we 'll see you in, in, in two weeks, and we will continue this introduction of systematic theology. Peace out, have a great two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.